Hello, everyone, and welcome to Invested in Our New Reality. I'm Manjula Salvaraja. I'm a technology journalist, radio and podcast host, former startup executive, and a national technology columnist to the CBC. And I'm thrilled to be hosting this season of the podcast. For the next several weeks, we're going to be focusing on the idea of scaling up through conversations that empower growth and success. As you'll hear, Season 10 features founders who participate in the Scale-Up platform, which is delivered by Invest Ottawa with the support of the Government of Canada through FedDev Ontario. Let's get started. Today, we're speaking with Pierce Eugenewala, co-founder and CEO of NAC, a codeless campaign creation platform that allows enterprise marketing teams to create emails and landing pages without outside support. Pierce, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Oh, so good to have you on. So, so let's start here. How does NAC make life easier for marketers? Yeah, so, you know... Marketers these days, even though there's been a lot of advancements in marketing technology, for a core part of their job, they still need to know how to code HTML and CSS. And so, yeah, NAC really eliminates the need for coding. And and as you mentioned, in the enterprise, there's a whole bunch of other challenges they have. So whether it's making sure they use the right colors for their brand or the right images or logos, NAC just makes all of that really easy. Mm. You know, I'm curious, take us back. Tell us about the aha moment that led to the creation of of NAC. Why did you think that the world needed NAC? Yeah. So it actually happened to me uh, in my first job out of business school. I was working at a company called Cognos, and and it was my job to put together the emails and landing pages. Uh, mm. This would have been, you know, about 10, 15 years ago now. And, you know, I was a marketer. I, I was very excited to use my creativity. And then when I got to the point where I could actually do that, I hit this wall and I realized, wow, I I need to know how to code in order to put my creativity in place. And I went to the bookstore and and looked at books for HTML and they were like 700 (laughs) pages long. And I just knew, you know, I am not going to spend my time trying to figure that out. And so I built a whole company instead. Maybe it would have been quicker to learn how to do that. But uh, that that was kind of the aha moment at first. Then I did a bunch of consulting with marketers just like me. And I realized, hey, I'm not alone in this. Like every marketer seemed to have the same struggle that I did. That's so interesting. My past career was marketing for a software company. So I know that pain so well. And I saw it with my team as well, that 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 people want to be in this great sort of creative zone, but they come in and most of their day is doing the tedious stuff. Yeah, And I do think that that does affect people's creativity. And I'm not talking just about, you know, how can we make a landing page more compelling, but just even thinking about how can we make this campaign more appealing uh, and yeah. get more customers through it. I, I I see that point. So talk to us about the evolution of the company. How is NAC involved and, and what were those key nudges that prompted the evolution? 
Yeah. So, you know, when we got started, um, Knack was very much kind of a side hustle for me. I was running a, a consulting company called Revenue Pulse, and we were doing all of these custom uh, email and landing page templates for our customers. And I figured, hey, there, there's got to be a better way of doing this uh, because it was very slow and tedious. So we built a very simple, you know, MVP, minimum viable product. And uh, it had three different options of templates for people to choose from. And it was very basic. It was just like, put your colors, your logo, your font in, and we will create this asset for you. Um, And it was $99 a month. You sign up with your credit card and away you go. And our our customers actually were very happy with this initial product. However, they kept coming back to us and saying, you know, this is great. But like any marketer, the first thing they want to do is change things. And they want to add their own creativity to Mm. the asset. And so what, what we realized, this is probably two or three years in, is that You know, marketers need that full control. They don't want to work with a template. They want to build the entire thing. And so we really shifted our strategy there from instead of creating templates that they would work with, which were very rigid and didn't allow for much flexibility, we shifted. We built a new product that would allow them to do everything within NAC. So whatever they could think of, they could build uh, in the NAC product. And that was a big turning point for the company. And the next big turning point, probably the biggest turning point for NAC was that uh, we had uh, one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world reach out to us. They said, hey, we've been following you guys for several years now. We love this new product that where we can build whatever we want. But it's not an enterprise product. And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? And, you know, they said, you need to be able to control the brand, allow us to collaborate with, you know, hundreds or thousands of people. Uh, Oh, that's interesting. They wanted sort of almost like a hub where where, you know, one party or one team could control the brand, but then have multiple users who access and and use the platform to create campaigns. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. And so we worked with uh, a couple very large, you know, Fortune 500 companies to build out this enterprise version. And that's really our bread and butter today at NAC and, and what we're working on with our customers. You no, know, that's really interesting. So here, you know, you're, you're you're humming along, you're doing well as a company, and then you have this really large player in what can, you know, most people would think would be a lucrative market, step up and say, but we would like your platform to do this. How do you validate that that's not like a solo large voice, but could actually be um, be pointing you to larger, other larger enterprise companies? Like, how do you figure out that that's the right direction to go in as founders of this company? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think a lot of software companies can kind of get bogged down or get themselves into trouble if they just end up 
doing, you know, custom development for one big customer. But for us, the way we did it is we had a vision of what we did want to build for NAC. And, you know, maybe fortunately for us was that that pharmaceutical company was very aligned with what we had on our roadmap. And they were just supportive in helping us give us feedback, uh, funding some of it, and allowing us to accelerate our, our roadmap and our vision. So I think it's about aligning what you do want to build as a company with what your customers want and trying to make sure there is an alignment. They're not forcing it. No, that's that's really great advice. And I think I think, you know, another thing that I can glean from that is that if you do get as a as a startup, as a smaller company, if you do get approached by a larger player of that kind is to actually sit down and decide what is your larger vision so that yeah. you can make sure that when they share theirs, there is alignment and you don't become sort of this practically a consulting shop uh, for for a large company. Now, now you describe NAC as customer focused, but you're also very focused on fostering a positive internal culture. Why is that important to you? Yes. So NAC is my second company. And I, you know, I learn from my mistakes. Uh, My (laughs) first company, we were very focused on the customer. In fact, that's all we were focused on. And it worked very well for us from a business perspective because we got a lot of referrals. We got a lot of repeat customers and that's how we grew until there became a point where we realized, hey, our customers love us, but internally we are very broken. And that is because what I realized is that we never focused on culture. We never talked about it. We never defined our core values. We didn't hold anyone accountable to it. We had no way really of knowing what our culture was. And so I I decided with NAC, that's never going to happen again. And so after the first year of running NAC with our first 10 employees, we sat down and we defined, we shared stories that we all felt defined our core values. And from that, we came up with 10 core values for NAC that to this day, we still uh, really live by. And I think that that I, I have seen the massive shift that that creates within a culture and really sets you up as your operating system for uh, your culture and how you expect everybody to behave and live by and hold each other accountable. Now, you talk about these 10 and and I'm sure part of that is 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 IP in a way, internal culture and and what defines internal culture can be IP. Would you be open to sharing just what one of those values could be? One of those 10 values you spoke about? Yeah. So, you know, one of ours is uh, respect. So one of the stories that was shared in that meeting a long time ago is that we had a customer who was not being respectful to our employees. One employee in particular really had a lot of challenges with this customer to the point where we actually ended up firing that customer. And I felt like we all felt like that's something that really defines us. So respect is something we expect amongst each other, amongst our partners and amongst our customers. And it's really a two-way street, not just for us, but for everybody. So 
that's one that I can share. No, that's a that's a really powerful story. You know, I go back to you talking about this this previous experience that you had. I do meet a lot of people that are serial entrepreneurs, and I, and I find that they take that wealth of the past experience and bring it to their next experience. But I'm just going to push on you a little on that on that story of that first experience. You know, whenever I I interview entrepreneurs or the idea of great and positive internal culture comes up, everyone goes, oh, yeah. Or everyone thinks in their head, oh, I'm sure that we have that. Right? I, I wonder what are the signs that, that if you can think of any, what are the signs that could tell someone that's a founder or, or running a company of that kind that they may have a not so great internal culture? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's really a bit of a gut feeling. I, I can share my experience of when I knew our culture was broken uh, at my first company was that I, w- I was out for a dinner with um, a bunch of people from our team. And, you know, there was just a feel, there is a tension. There was um, something in the air that, you know, you could, ju- you could feel it. And, uh, I remember being at that dinner and really the only person I felt comfortable speaking with was like the this brand new employee that we had who I think just wasn't, um, you know, it was there so new, didn't really know what was going on. But I think, you know, that that's definitely a big sign if you have that, if there's kind of an uncomfortability or tension or things that you feel like. Hey, why why is this topic so sensitive to talk about? I think that's those are some red flags that that people should look out for. And if if that's there, there probably is something under the surface that has not been addressed that is probably a root culture issue. Mm. Now, I'm sure that culture focused approach would have been put to test during the, the COVID pandemic. What challenges did the pandemic force you to confront while you were scaling the company? Yeah, I think, you know, before the pandemic, we were still a very small company. Most of the company was working together uh, in my basement, actually, at that time. And so, as you can imagine, we were working in very close quarters and we were all, you know, you know, working right side by side and with the pandemic going fully virtual we didn't see each other uh in person obviously for months at a time and we we realized very quickly that not sitting side by side was really causing a lack of alignment a lack of not knowing what other people were doing and all of those little side conversations that happen in between meetings or, you know, overhearing other people's meetings, we realized when we lost that, we really lost alignment with our team. And we had to really work at communication. So that was something that definitely put it to the test of just working in a new environment um, I'm very happy to have our new office. We just opened a brand new office in Ottawa. Oh, congratulations. Uh, That's great. November. Yeah. So it's it's nice to kind of get back to some more of that. But that that was something just 
working in a whole new environment and trying to make sure that our communication was uh, over communicating uh, in a virtual world. How do you do that? I mean, I, I think of it's such an interesting point that you bring up because I actually think it goes beyond tech. Um, certainly I can think of the many things that I do both on the volunteer side and also, uh, in, you know, in my full-time roles where not being around people and not realizing that communications can just be overhearing things that stopped mm. happening when everyone yeah. went uh, virtual. How then do you, I mean, with, with the world still, you know, portion of the world virtual and other portion of the world hybrid, how then do you do it? Is it more regular meetings? Is it I don't know, some kind of a memo that goes around the, an e-memo that goes around the company. How are you making up for those, those lost conversations? Yeah. So you can do what you can with the virtual stuff, Zoom, Slack, but I, I think there is no replacing being in person. Um, the first thing we did when we could, and it, it happened last year, was to get the whole company together. Uh, in Ottawa for like, a, I think we did a three day on site where we flew everybody in. We had sessions, we did breakouts, we went out for dinner, we did team building activities, I think, to try and bring everyone back together. And now that we have our new office open, uh, we're bringing the different teams and we still have half of our company uh, working remotely. So we're trying to get people in. Uh, with their teams and just have, you know, different departments come in uh, for, you know, a week at a time. And I think that it helps rebuild a lot of those relationships and, and communication. Um, even if you're just together for a few days, I, I find it helps people catch up. Mm. No, no, you've been on quite the the scale of journey over the past few years. You know that when you look at the environment uh, now that that companies are in, uh, especially tech companies, I think we can both agree that it is um, tough, um, uh, relatively volatile. What are some of the the big lessons that you've learned that you think may be valuable for the other entrepreneurs that are facing this environment right now? Yeah, so we bootstrap knack uh all the way up until our series A. And I and I think that what that really taught me is uh, you know, building a profitable or break-even business and how that allows you to really control your destiny. So I think up until last year in 22. Uh, there was a really big focus on just growth at all costs. And that didn't matter if you were losing a lot of money. Uh, mm. But I think things have really changed in some ways for the better uh, to be building a capital efficient business that, you know, you don't need outside money to run now. Sometimes outside money is great to be able to accelerate that growth. But I think what was happening a lot of times is that it was just kind of masking companies that maybe weren't uh, ever going to be profitable in some cases. And so I think my advice to entrepreneurs would be uh, whether the investors are really looking for it or not, when you build a capital efficient 
business where you can have a clear path to profitability will really put you in the driver's seat to control your own destiny. And it will help you negotiate if you do want to take on some VC investment. Mm, I think that's that's so fascinating that that here you are, you're, you're building a, a positive internal culture, but you're also in a way through bootstrapping, building a capital efficient culture, because it's not just, you know, when you set that as the way that the, your company is going to run, it's not just the founding founders of the founding team, but employees who come in who also understand that this is the culture of the company. I think that's that's fascinating. Now, you're part of Invest Ottawa's scale up program. How did that program support your growth? Yeah, it, it was really amazing. I think, you know, when you're running a startup, there are a million questions and problems that you're trying to solve. And a lot of times you're solving those for the first time. And to me, one of the best parts about Invest Ottawa is all of the mentors that they're able to uh, provide to you. So whether it was an HR question that we didn't know the answer to or a big sales question that we had, Invest Ottawa was able to connect us with these amazing mentors um, who just take some pressure off for you and and help you find the answer a lot quicker. I'm sure everyone could find the answer, but they get you there a lot faster and kind of play out those scenarios that they've already experienced through. So I've we've we've really enjoyed working with them. I think the other thing they bring is a lot of a lot more structure and rigor to the business and encourage you to start looking at different parts of your business and reporting on those elements. Um it's kind of like a mini board deck that they get you to do and so it's it's just using some of those muscles maybe that you you haven't or you haven't done enough of was also really helpful for us. And you felt that that was still valuable to you or, or necessary, these, you know, these places you can go for HR advice or, or you know, a sales advice or even that structure, even though you had done this before, that you had built a company before. Yeah, 100%. I think the people that they have on staff and and i think you know there it the way i look at it is there's always people who have more experience and who are smarter than you and it never hurts to ask for help or to bounce ideas of somebody uh, who has been there and done that and and i think the people that they have around could have run circles around me and our team in a lot of these areas. So uh, we very much welcome the help. Oh, I'm sure they'd be happy to hear that. Here's what's what's next for NAC? Where do you see your company in the next two to four years? Yeah, so it's a really interesting time for the company right now as we head into 2023. And there's, you know, a lot of talks of inflation and recessions and companies tightening their budgets. We see this as actually a very positive thing for NAC because uh, of the problem that we solve. So we put the power back in the marketer's hands. And, and what that means typically is that 
companies are able to reduce their agency budgets by implementing NAC. We've seen this with several of our customers this year where, you know, they will buy the NAC software and then announce that they're really focusing on cost measures. And and so I think that's an area for a big opportunity for growth for us. So, I, you know, we're forecasting another big year of growth. And this opportunity is a big one. So we very much believe we're at the start of our journey, but we're going to continue to build out a platform that allows marketers to be creative. We are going to be focused on our product and and making our existing customers happy and really fighting the good fight for marketers. I think a a big (laughs) frontier of what's coming, and we're seeing this with AI, is that there's going to be even more of a push towards automating everything. Certainly. You mentioned this at the start of the podcast, but I believe that the best way to connect with people is through other people and through other people's creativity. And that really sits right at the center of that. So I'm excited for the future. Well, Pierce, uh, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure to learn more about NAC and, and how you're helping marketing teams. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. And thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us. It's always great to know you're listening in to the advice and journeys shared by our guests. I'm Manjula Salvaraja, and I look forward to exploring more scale-up successes with you on our next episode of Invested in Our New Reality. 